Be it in the lavished halls of Elysium, the lethal fire dances of the Sabbat, or in the secluded libraries of the Inkanu, few books are as readily quoted and debated as the Book of Nod. It is wholly a book of and for the undead, its content and message containing vastly less meaning to any mortal scholar than it would to even the youngest of fledglings. It is a book studied in equal parts fear and excitement, and it is said to have been penned by Cain himself, detailing the closest thing that the kindred and Cainites have to a creation myth. While in my research I attempt to always highlight any historical inconsistencies or theories as being such, fellow counsel, I fear that when discussing the matter of Cain, there can be naught but speculations. Even the oldest kindred of the Camarilla were born thousands of years after the purported fratricide, and while there may be older Cainites still, who might have even met the founder of our lineage, they refuse to speak of it, or are perhaps even unable to. Indeed, when one digs even deeper, the mythos surrounding the father of all Cainites and his thirteen grandchildren become increasingly flimsy. Even in the Book of Nod, it is clear that many of the accounts are not by Cain himself, but written recollections or even hearsay, and there are parts where one is forced to consider whether they are not but propaganda of the elders, written to give legitimacy to their draconic rule. Thus we are left with the writings collected, translated, and collated by scholars such as Aristotle de Laurent and Cuthbert Beckett, kindred who consider it their raison d'etre to map the patchwork of history that is our kind. They theorize as to the text's origins, yet not even those of the Mnemosyne can agree what the true purpose of these stories are. Are they allegorical or actual historical accounts? They do not know. Tonight we shall begin our study of their work, but know that we may never be able to separate truth from fiction, legend from reality, and perhaps that is the point. Interpret these words as you will, dear counsel, and know that I am as much a seeker as you. I merely retell what I have read. It all would begin with a murder, and not just any murder, but the first. In the Chronicles of Cain, the eldest son of Adam and Eve would sacrifice his younger brother Abel upon their father's altar. Cain, who grew crops, was embittered by the rejection of his harvest by the one, who instead looked kindly upon Abel's sacrifice of flesh of the beasts he was raising. Thus Cain would sacrifice that which he truly held dearest, his own flesh and blood, and for this deed he was banished to the lands of Nod by his father. The reasoning behind Cain's sacrifice is said to be one of naivete. How could one who had never known the death of another human know the cost of ending a mortal life? Yet even if he had not, he was willing to give his youngest brother to the one that they worshipped. Was it a sacrifice, or a jealous and malicious interpretation of what he had been told to do? None but Cain himself could say. After being cast out, Cain would wander the lands, alone to his thoughts, until he would find himself in the company of a woman. She was Lilith, Adam's first wife, who was cast out of Eden for her refusal to submit to Adam, having been made out of the same clay as him and therefore considered herself his equal. Lilith took pity upon Cain and brought him to her home where she fed him, closed him, and provided him company when no one else would. Cain remained with Lilith for some time, either serving her or as a guest, their true relationship indecipherable from the ancient texts. 
In time, she would awaken him to his powers, giving him of her blood, upon which he perceived the visage of the four archangels, Michael, Raphael, Uriel, and Gabriel. Each of them offered him forgiveness, yet he spurned them all, and thus he was cursed with weakness to fire and the sun. He became as if dead, yet eternal, unable to pass on to the one's grace. Only Gabriel would offer the son of Adam the final path of salvation, that which today is known as Golconda. Cain rejected the angel's offers of mercy, because Cain could not forgive himself for what he had done. Even later, when he reigned over the city of Enoch, he never denied that he was cursed, a blasphemous creature in the eyes of all that is holy. We must pause here and consider for a moment the relationship between Cain and Lilith. She offered him her blood, and he drank from it, after which he was cursed in much the same way as modern kindred would be. Presumably, then, he suffered not these weaknesses before. Did Lilith turn him into a vampire? Was she one herself, or merely a powerful mage? Or did she simply draw forth from Cain his true potential, and the angels were mere visions induced by the power of her blood, and potentially what she may have mixed into it? Cain and Lilith would have a falling out, presumably because Cain grew too impatient and desired more power than she was willing to help him find. He took it for himself and left her domain, eventually coming to find the children of Seth, Adam and Eve's third child, over whom he would rule as a god. Cain learned that he could transfer his curse to others, creating Childer for himself, and it's possible he picked this up from how Lilith had conducted her ritual over him. He chose a young man, beloved by all, by the name of Enosh, and he embraced him, giving him then the name of Enoch, which would also be the name of their city. Enoch desired a sister and a brother, and thus Cain would embrace Zillah the seer and Irad the warrior. Cain would fall deeply in love with Zillah, and he approached an old crone in the wild to seek her guidance in capturing Zillah's heart. She promised she would teach him how to make her love him in return, but the price was that he would drink of the crone's blood. He did this three nights in a row, and thus he learned of the blood bond, finding himself shackled to her and her will. The crone forced him to embrace her, and to love her, and Cain was powerless to prevent it. While he had learned then how to bind Zilla and his other childer to him, it came at a dark price. Yet Cain persisted, and eventually overcame the bond, driving a stake of wood through the heart of the old woman and leaving her for the rising sun. The events that transpired after this should be known to you if you have paid attention to my previous lectures. Cain's three childer, Enoch, Zilla, and Irad, would go on to embrace childer of their own, the so-called antediluvians, and it would lead to the destruction of the first city by a great deluge. As the flood abated, the third generation fell upon Cain's childer, slaying them and building a new, second city shortly thereafter. Disgusted by their actions and his own blindness, for Uriel the Archangel had warned Cain before his embrace of Enosh that this would happen, Cain left his progeny and began to wander the earth, no longer wishing anything to do with these wretched creatures whose jealousy and spite would poison all they touched, just as his jealousy had driven him to deny any salvation offered to him. This is the story presented in the Chronicles of Cain. Further parts of the Book of Nod are the Chronicles of Shadow and the Chronicle of Secrets. The first one we will touch upon briefly, the second we will discuss at more length for it holds more relevance to the lore we pursue.
Before we move on to that, however, it is worth noting that some kindred, like Beckett, consider the Chronicles of Cain a parable meant to illustrate the internal struggle of all kindred with evocative figures from myth to represent these elements at war. Cain would in a sense embody our drive towards civilization and humanity, of higher thinking, while Abel would thus be our origin of a more primal and simpler nature, as well as the beast made manifest in the murder. The sun god, symbolically representing the object of worship of our former tribe, the Kine, is now our enemy, punishing us for Cain's sin, and the moon goddess, Lilith, the dark mother, serves to draw out our power and teach us of our potential. But likewise is also a symbol of civilization, as the moon's journey across the sky would determine the seasons of growth for the early farmers. It certainly fits the narrative, yet it is an idea with much opposition. I am sure you can imagine, from those canines and kindred who have built much of their identity around this fabled progenitor and the Dark Mother. Let us move on. The Chronicle of Shadow is a collection of laws, rules and proverbs. This part of the book, you must pardon me dear counsel, I find the least likely to have been penned by any of those first three generations. It speaks of how kindred should treat kine and their mortal servants, the ghouls, as well as how they should interact with other creatures of the night, like the lupines, the fae, and the mages. It also contains several addresses to their descendants by the antediluvians themselves, yet it contains only such for the clans of the Camarilla, and seem at times both to reinforce the current hierarchy of power, as well as provide princes, justicars, and others with plenty of material to back up any claims they may make to power and superiority. Thus, I consider this text a curiosity with some interesting tidbits, but hardly as fundamental a piece of writing as some would argue it is. It fits too neatly into the narrative, and thus I'm inclined to be skeptical. I'm afraid in this my personal opinion will need to shine through my lecture. It is possible that they are remembered words of Cain, but that in itself means that there is another layer of interpretation added to it. Perhaps the Codex of Cain, collected by Critias of the Bruja, may hold more information on this matter. The Chronicle of Secrets, however, remains a more interesting piece of reading. It details prophecies and foretellings of the coming of the Thin Bloods, the awakening of the Antediluvians, and the final judgment of Cain. There is a single piece that stands out in this, called Of Love, which, while not pertaining to the end times, is said to discuss the possibility of true love being a force strong enough to rescue a damned soul from the verge of oblivion, and perhaps even return the gift of death to a kindred. It rings true with previous writings on the topic, where Cain strongly urges the reader never to embrace those whom they love, for it will corrupt and destroy that sacred bond without fail. Most famous of the texts in the Chronicles of Secret may be the Signs of Gehenna, said to have been first written down in the course of Enoch after a prophetic vision of Saulot himself, although I find this highly doubtful considering the text's references to grandsires in plural, as does it speak of the antediluvians to which surely Saulot would have counted himself, and which is a strange term to use before the actual deluge that brought the destruction of Enoch although it is possible that the original translation was more along the lines of the third generation. Even so, I am inclined once more to consider this a later writing, wrongfully attributed to the founder of the Salubri, or a half-remembered memory, where the author filled in the blanks with terminology of their own choosing, uncaring for the discrepancies this would produce. 
I shall end this particular lecture by reading from it, so that you may truly feel the weight of these words. And when next we meet, I will discuss further Lilith, the Dark Mother, and what insights the Bahari may have on her true nature and her relationship to Cain and his Get. Quiet, hear the ravens cry, the stillness of the wind rising hot on the street, the towers hide the darkness of the day. When Lysambra's dreams come true, on the day when the moon runs as blood and the sun rises black in the sky, that is the day of the damned, when Cain's children will rise again. And the world will turn cold, and unclean things will boil up from the ground, and great storms will roll, lightning will light fires, animals will fester, and their bodies twisted will fall. So too our grandsires will rise from the ground, they will break their fast on the first part of us, they will consume us whole. On the second day, Cain will return and call his children to the meeting place. On the side of the first city, he will beckon them, sitting on his basalt throne. And Cain will call aloud the names of those to be destroyed, for their crimes are too great. And all those who have consumed the heart's blood of their sire will be brought before the black throne and made to drink of Cain's blood, and Cain's blood will eat their blood, and the Dark Mother herself will be brought forth. And there, in the Valley of Enoch, will there be a battle, a duel of Dark Father and Dark Mother. The Demon Queen will bite deep, the Damned King will bite deeper. We will not know the thing which will happen, but the sky will tear apart, and the earth below and the forces of hell will pour up out of the ground. On the third day there will be silence. The crows will feed on the carrion, plague will dance amongst the ruins, the last of the wild ones will leave this place, the last of the moon beasts will fight and fall, and the antediluvians will make for themselves an empire of blood. They will rule with iron talons, they will wrench the hearts of all still alive, and the full sum of the earth's living will come and live in the last city called Gehenna, and there will be a reign of one thousand years, and there will be no love or life or pity. The mighty will be as slaves, the virtues will be made foul, every good gift and every perfect gift will be tainted by the father of darkness whose power will come from the nether realms. When the snow consumes the earth and the sun gutters like a candle in the wind, then and only then will there be born a woman, the last daughter of Eve, and in her there will be decided the fate of all. And you will not know this woman except by the mark of the moon on her, and she will face treachery, hatred, and pain, but in her is the last hope. And you will know these last times by the time of thin blood, which will mark vampires that cannot beget. You will know them by the clanless, who will come to rule. You will know them by the wild ones, who will hunt us even in the strongest city. You will know them by the awakening of some of the eldest. The crone will awaken and consume all. You will know these times, for a black hand will rise up and choke all those who oppose it. 
and those who eat heart's blood will flourish, and the kindred will crowd each to his own, and Vitae will be as rare as diamonds. Mark these signs, they are coming. Gehenna will be on earth. Mark the shadows which flies, mark the dragons which rises, mark the darkness which moves, mark the shadow of the moon, mark the angel that dies, mark the maiden who weeps, mark the children embraced, mark the clanless who run. And there will be a time when sire will drive out childhood, when sire will abandon childhood to the sun's mercy, and there will be no mercy for the clanless, mongrel though they be, Upon their forgotten sires shall be the curse of Auriel. Upon their hateful sires shall be the curse that comes of crossing Cain. Upon their lazy sires shall be the curse of the hunters hunted. Those among the clanless will have no path to follow, no family to name, no generation to hold, no traditions to keep, no customs to give, no hospitality to give. Why do you make these orphans? Why do you leave them in the street? They are the dark seed of our undoing. They will band together with those who hate us. They will follow Bruja's childer. They will make the blood run red. They are going to kill the dead. They are going to eat our kin. They will scream and bash our doors. They will cry aloud for justice. Clanless all, they will wash over our walls. Clanless all, they will know secret ways. Clanless all, they are Lilith's foul get. Clanless all, they are newly awake. Clanless all, no family, no sign, no loyalty, no elder. Beware those who walk without a clan, for they will be our undoing. Pity them. Adopt the orphans where you can. But watch them. In them is the bad seed of their sire. Their numbers are five, and they are dark gods. Snow, an insightful yet compassionate master. Bambi Parsons, whose passion inspires and leads by example. Dr. Sheepington, a sage and venerable keeper of ancient wisdom. The unemployed writer whose words have guided nations through the aeons. And Dugal, the ancient and terrifying who stalks the night. These are our masters, and to worship them is to attain salvation. Their childer, the Methuselah, sit like kings and queens above us, their wills ours to obey. They are Her Satanic Majesty Danny, reborn through fire and ice, Maximilian S. Hardcastle, a master of our ancient jihad, Socrates Johnson, a scholar and mentor, the ambitious and loyal Lauren Eason, as well as the enigmatic yet influential Procyon. Alexander Kanehurst of the dreaded Vilebloods has joined their numbers as well, swelling their ranks and adding his noble cunning to their fold. On the Council of the Primogen are seated Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, 06, Stonewolf 18, Jokerman, Ian Nichols, the Black Friar, Ravenfang, Brad Hardwick, and Pilgrim, wise leaders and of good judgment. This week, the Council would wish to honor the Elder, Non-God, and the Ancile Shadow Mind. We thank you for your loyalty. All our Elders, Ancile and Neonates, receive our gratitude from the bottoms of our heart. Without your support, this would not be possible. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there. 
for the time of thin blood is surely upon us.